podcast of sermons by Pastor Charles St. Ange, LCMS Missionary in Montreal, Quebec, and the Caribbean. Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Here in Canada, we might remember the name of a certain band that I will not mention, although they're still quite popular just because their name is one of those things you hate to even bring up in a church service or during a sermon. But back when they were getting their start, when I was in high school, they had a hit song all across Canada with the title, If I Had a Million Dollars. Now, what would the singers do if they happen to have a million dollars? They'd build a tree fort in their yard. They'd buy furniture for their fort. They'd buy a car, a nice K car or Lion automobile, and a fur coat, but not a real fur coat. That's cruel. So their values did kick in and influence their decisions, finally, on what they would do if they were given a million dollars. Now, I might lose a lot of you right now for at least a few minutes, but I'm going to ask the crazy question, what would you do if somebody came and gave you a million dollars? And would your values your Christian morality, your confidence in God kick in at some point in influencing what you're going to do with this windfall of money. Would it matter to you who gave you the million dollars and what they might expect you to do with this windfall cash gift? The parable of the talents is a little bit like a master coming along and saying, what would you do if I gave you a million dollars? Because a talent is not the ability to play the banjo or the ability to sing or be an artist. A talent was a monetary value. And a talent was about half a lifetime's wages. So the very first servant that gets called it is given two and a half times what they might make in their entire lifetime in terms of wages. The second is given almost a lifetime's wages and the other one about a half lifetime wages. This could very well be close to a million dollars for somebody in the upper middle income class, at least in Canada. What will each of these servants do with this money? Now, my daughters have a list of all the things that they would do if they had a million dollars. They've got the dream house, they've got the cars, they've got the apple pen. No, wait, two apple pens, if only they had a million dollars. Now, what's interesting is that not only does this master give each of these servants a differing, and yet for all of them, a large sum of money, he gives to each of them according to their abilities. The Lord knows what they are capable of doing with a million dollars or more. There's an old proverb that says that God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called. It's actually a little bit of both if you read scripture closely. God calls upon those to whom he has already given talents, and I mean talents in the way we use the word talent, not talent as in half a million dollars. I remember driving along St. Joseph's Boulevard between Orleans and the city of Ottawa with my dad when I was in high school, maybe right after having listened to the song, If I Had a Million Dollars, and telling my dad that I was thinking about going to seminary. 
And my dad was quiet for a moment and said, can't you just go and be a successful Christian engineer or a Christian manager? Why would you want to throw away everything to be a pastor? Well, the reality is, if you've been given the skills and abilities to be a pastor, might you not also be called upon by God to use your talents in that particular vocation? Is that not why God gives to each according to their abilities? Now, the last question we need to ask ourselves about each of these servants is what is going to influence them? They've gotten this large sum of cash, each according to their abilities. What they're going to do with it depends heavily on what they think of the one who is giving them the money. The first two come back to the master having gone out and somehow doubled their investment, doubled their cash, which is an incredible rate of return in a society in which rates of return are illegal. The Old Testament outlaws usury. So somehow they've just gone and been very, very generous with this in such a way that it's come back double, twice as much. And he says, here is your talents. That's what the servants say to the master. They understand that the money that was given to them first came from him. But they're excited about what's happened with this investment. Whatever they did, it was incredibly risky. But it paid off. And the master's response to each of them is, well done, good, and, and here's the key word, faithful servant. Now, it can't be faithful in terms of what they should have done with the money, because as I've said, usury is outlawed. The faithfulness has to be how the servants looked at their master. They were loyal to the master. They trusted him. They thought like he thought. They acted like he would act. Their faith was in him. And that's what he's commending. But of course, we have the last servant. And the last servant breaks the pattern where each servant comes and says, look, I went out and your five talents made five more. Your two talents made two more. Come, enter into the joy of your master. He breaks the pattern by saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, not joyful, but in fear. And so I went and hid your talent in the ground. The first two servants you see served a gracious a generous master, a risk-taking master. And so they went out and were gracious and generous and risky with the money in return. The last one served, well, let's not put too close a point on it, a hard man who he's considered a thief and a robber. That's what he means when he says you reap where you did not sow. You're a thief. And so he acted accordingly hiding the money in the ground so it wouldn't be stolen. Now, here's the bit where we talk a little bit about missions, because that's what I'm out doing right now all across the United States, talking about what it means to be a Christian or a pastor, 
or a family or a congregation or even a church body engaged in the mission of Jesus Christ. Individuals, lay people, pastors, families, congregations, even entire church bodies are gifted by God according to their abilities. To do what? That's the question. If church bodies and families and pastors and lay people and congregations are thinking like the first two servants, then we have been invested in that we might in turn go out and be even a little bit risky with what the Lord has given to us. But if we're like that last servant, we take everything that the Lord's given us and live in fear that it might get taken away. We won't risk anything but want to hold on to it tight, bury it even in the ground, so that when the Lord comes back, we can say to him, we knew that you are a judgmental, wrathful, and jealous God, and we were terrified of risking what you have given to us. In that moment, of course, the Lord will judge us according to our understanding of him. For the first two servants, they look at God as a joyful risk taker, and they're rewarded accordingly. The last servant looked at him as a thief and a robber, and that's how they, in turn, he, in turn, was treated. We might look at the Cayman Islands and say, why do the Cayman Islands need a missionary? Isn't that where all the money is? Isn't that where the all, all the offshore bank accounts are? Isn't that where the firm, the old movie with Tom Cruise, was set? Do you know in the Cayman Islands, there are people just like you and I, ordinary people with ordinary jobs, surrounded by churches that continue to proclaim to them the law. Do this and you will live. A place that just like here, Montreal, is desperately in need of the gospel. Four years ago, when I went to St. Louis for my reconnect, I was asked point blank by my boss's boss's boss, why would we send a missionary to the Caymans? And even if we could send one, who would ever agree in our church body to support such a person? We've called a missionary now. And after only a month and a half, he's raised 75% of the funds he needs for his first year. God calls according to our abilities and asks us to take risks. Jamaica. We've invested in a school in Jamaica in one of the poorest areas of the country. How can these people ever possibly pay us back? They probably never can. But then where did we get all of our ability to go and start that school? That was a gift from God. And we are going and taking those talents and spending them. And it will not surprise me if they come back with double the investment in people's souls being saved by the gospel. And in Montreal, when I first started talking about going to Montreal, people's eyes sort of went wide and said, why? Why Quebec? Why Montreal? They don't, isn't there a church up there? Aren't they all Roman Catholics? Well, you know, listening to this sermon right now, that we are the most unchurched region in North America. Fewer than 5% of our fellow Quebecers are religious in any sense. And yet, with our little tiny investment of talents here at Ascension Lutheran Church, this tiny number of volunteers, Emily and I did the addition, did the adding up. We are looking at something like 80 contacts with non-Christians out of our little community 
every single month. That could be over a thousand non-Christians that we've had some kind of contact with over the course of an entire year through our English classes and through our internet outreach. We are risking a lot with what God's given us. But that's the kind of God who risked an awful lot on people like you and I. Willing to send his son to die on a cross for people just like you and me. For sinners like you and me. While we were his enemies, he came and died for you and me. If that is the kind of God we serve, if that is the God who has given us these abilities and talents and resources, how can we then not turn around and not risk even a fraction of what God risked for us that we might be saved? Going back to that song, I mentioned at the very beginning, if you remember how it ends, the singers sing, if I had a million dollars, I'd buy your love. Well, Jesus didn't buy our love with a million dollars. The small catechism puts it plainly. He purchased and won us from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy and precious blood and by his innocent suffering and death. That is your master. One willing to pay for you at the expense of his own blood and life. He loves you that much. Everything he gives to you and I comes as a gift. And he knows you better than you know yourself. He has given you something better than a million dollars. A place in his household forever. A place at his side in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, in whose name you have been washed and sanctified. Will we be afraid of misusing God's grace in the gospel of Jesus and bury it? to hold on to it and hide it? <laughs> or are we going to invest it in those around us and expect that somehow, miraculously, it is just going to multiply? We can be the Christians, the missionaries, the churches that bury the gospel and present it back to Jesus on the last day and say, see, we kept it whole and inviolable. Or we can invest it in risky mercy, just like God has already invested in you and I. You are not in darkness, brothers and sisters, for that day to surprise you like a thief when the master comes back. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night and of the darkness. So then let us not sleep on the investment as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. You have something better than a million dollars. You have the light of Christ. You have the gospel. If you'd like to learn more, visit intheway.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless your week.